forever I elevated the game Launched the greatest label in the history of rap And for 24 years I carried it on my back I've always shined brighter when I'm under attack I might be down for a moment but I always go it's back It's time for war Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode, another week of The Real Deal with Chris O'Neill. And this is when it gets real. It's rivalry week. We got uh, the last week here of the college football regular season before we headed into championship weekend and the playoffs and bowl games. And so with that said, everything kind of boils down to uh, right now, to rivalry week. We got... A lot of in-state rivalries, UNC, NC State, Florida, FSU, Georgia, Georgia Tech. Um, you know, big big rivalries coming up with Notre Dame versus USC and Ohio State, Michigan, the big heavyweight matchup this week. Auburn, Alabama, even though down years for both teams, always a rivalry. So, you know, this is, this is the week that determines seasons, determines bowl games, determines playoffs, and determines you know, reputation, maybe if you got nothing else going for you. But um, yeah, it comes down to this. So uh, let's get right into it. Just going over some of last week's games. First, a thriller in the Rose Bowl, number seven USC versus number 16 UCLA. USC takes the win in a shootout, 48-45. I got to say, I think the biggest takeaway from this game is the energy, the crowd energy. Uh, and the energy the game had, um, you know, haven't talked a whole lot about Pac-12 football, and especially in recent years, it hasn't been something that's really been noteworthy as usually they eat themselves up and knock themselves out of the playoffs. And even when they do make the playoffs, like Oregon and uh, Washington, um, it's usually a first-round exit or, um, you know, never really looking too optimal for the Pac-12. But... This year, there seems to be a little more energy, at least around this USC team. And to be honest, UCLA didn't look bad at all either. Um, Got to say, both the offenses were great. It was a back-and-forth shootout. You know, I don't know if that says something more about the offense and, and what they have over there on skill, or if it's defense not being up to par, or, may, or maybe it's a little bit of both. But got to say, both offenses looked incredible. Um, an absolute shootout, 48-45. I think the big takeaways here are, first, uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, quarterback for UCLA, um, had three picks, which, you know, isn't going gonna, isn't gonna to help you much there and probably is the reason why UCLA, UCLA loses this game. But three picks, but on top of that, he had 309 yards for four touchdowns with 81 rushing yards. I mean, stellar game besides the turnovers. Um and definitely led that UCLA offense. They uh, USC defense could not stop the runs from the quarterback and Zach Charmaine at running back, and uh, the passing was on point too. Uh, you know they, when they would stack the box for the run, uh, Thompson Robinson would just throw it, throw it away. So great game from him, even though those three turnovers. Caleb Williams for USC, bad interception early in the game. 
Um, more or less just a bad decision that he made. But on top of that, a stellar game, 470 yards for two touchdowns and 33 rushing yards. A lot of, ro- lot of throws on the run, a lot of throws into tight, narrow windows uh, where only his guy can go up and get it. Um, looked great, honestly. And, it, you know, it, this is the type of game where season's on the line, where you step up and put up numbers, where you're playing a good opponent, where you're, um, you know, your back's against the wall after being down a little bit in the beginning and puts up a, a career game, really. And that's when when you're looking at Heisman and, and what determines it, it's kind of it's kind of that right it's it's kind of the the standout game the Heisman performance and not saying that Caleb Williams is the Heisman winner but I you know his odds certainly uh, rose in Vegas to win the Heisman after last week's game and as they should uh, you know they're still a one-loss team fighting for that playoff spot fighting for a Pac-12 championship um, and and the team looks good so um, definitely a stellar performance, standout game for him, especially with the uh, the amount of energy around that game and the implications. Uh, definitely pretty cool to see um, that great comeback in a tough environment. Jordan Addison, wide receiver for USC, won the, the Blitnikov um, last year with Pitt as the best wide receiver in the country. Showed it again uh, last Saturday, uh, 11 catches for 178 yards and a touchdown, and, and just making some acrobatic catches along the sidelines, making Caleb's life a little easier, giving him a target. Uh, but he looked great. Uh, definitely, definitely a first round NFL wide receiver. And that, that was just a good game overall, back and forth. And then um, USC sealing the deal with the interception on the last drive by UCLA um, definitely makes it a classic. Uh, let's move over on to uh, TCU and Baylor, another close game. This whole weekend really was close games, whether they were wanted or not, um, or expected or not. And so TCU, Baylor, TCU just scrapes away with a 29-28 win over Baylor. Lots of big plays in this one. I think that was the story. Um, it was lots of blown coverages, g- good play design, but blown coverages more or less, typical Big 12 and just big plays downfield for both quarterbacks, throwing deep, uh, lots of yards. Um, I think what it what it comes down to though with TCU is a great comeback drive for Max Duggan. He goes twenty four for thirty five, three hundred twenty seven yards, uh, one one touchdown, and the one interception that was not again just probably a poor decision, um, but still looked great. He looked, played a great game, um, and. You know, for as many yards and as many big plays as TCU's defense uh, gave up, uh, you know, when it came down to it at the end of the game, they get off the field um, and give their their offense a chance to get back down the field for a field goal. Interesting decision for, um, you know, with time running off the clock, like 14 seconds left um, tr- uh, after a running play with no timeouts to try and get the, the field goal unit on the field. For TCU, um, and they get the kickoff within four seconds to win that game. So another thriller down at Baylor, and um, that's TCU remains undefeated, keeps their their dream alive. Um, they they have to look forward to uh, next week before they get their chance at the Big Twelve championship, um, and then maybe a, maybe a playoff here if they remain undefeated 
or uh, or just win the championship. I think they're still in regardless. But yeah, great game. Another close one. Another classic. A uh, lot of fun to watch. Michigan versus Illinois. Now uh, again, another close game. This one expected, probably not. Um, and maybe there's some reasons to that, but we'll we'll, we'll take a look and see. Nineteen to seventeen win for Michigan. Uh, you know they started started the game great. Uh, opening drive was pretty much all Blake Corum. Two big runs, one huge one, and he goes eighteen for one hundred eight and a touchdown just before halftime. Um, when he goes down with a knee injury and is out for the rest of the game, not sure the severity of that injury, but definitely something to watch as this week is coming up and clearly one of the major storylines headed towards this Ohio state Michigan matchup, um, this upcoming Saturday. So, um, yeah, on top of that, you know, I think the Michigan offense struggled a little bit after that, you know, uh, a lot of the pressure relieved from Blake Corum gets put onto McCarthy, uh, JJ McCarthy uh, at quarterback and making throws for him. And the the run game just was not the same with Corum in the game. Uh, McCarthy goes 18 for 34, 208 and zero touchdowns. So, you know, 208 yards, still like decent game. Just, um, it seemed like once they got inside the 30 yard line on offense, Drives just stalled out. Uh, they couldn't get anything going. Maybe if there was no deep threat, um, not sure. McCarthy was making a lot of throws to the outside, um, short throws. Uh, you know, some yards after catch. You know, he wasn't making the the downfield throws to get those two hundred eight yards. It was a lot of um, screens or just out routes that um, wide receivers were breaking a couple tackles and and gaining on their own, but. I think I think a lot of the pressure comes down on McCarthy, and you know he hasn't really had that this year uh, as a starter. Um, this being his first year, and you know he isn't that nece- known for being that kind of quarterback yet. So we got to see what that bodes for next week, um, how that shifts game plan for both teams. You know, um, definitely affects the way you play both of these teams. So. That's that's the big news for Michigan. Uh, I just want to mention Illinois' Chase Brown at running back, 29 uh, attempts for 140 yards with two touchdowns. Had a great day against, uh, you know, what is statistically the best defense in college football. Um, maybe expose a little bit of the weakness of where you're able to, to attack them if you're able to get that passing game going, which they kind of did to some of their bigger tight ends. That's what seemed to maybe be a little bit of a, a weakness or a soft spot for Michigan's defense. Then once they had to start playing these tight ends, getting Chase Brown going, um, and he definitely got going with those numbers. So um, definitely just can't feel great if you're a Michigan fan right now just for the fact that Corum's out. And, you know, this is a game. Illinois is a good team this year. They have a, they're having a good season. Uh, I think only three losses, but you expected – a better score than 19 to 17 if you're Michigan, especially at home, um, especially at this point in the season when your team has developed. And, you know, even even with Quorum out, you know, if you're one of these elite, elite teams, you gotta be you got to be able to adapt to those kind of situations and be able to run your offense and get down the field and score points consistently uh, if you want to be in the conversation for uh, – 
wins against teams like Ohio State or uh, winning a Big Ten championship or especially, you know, putting a, a, a run together in the college football playoffs. So can't feel super great uh, if you're a Michigan fan right now. Uh, moving on to Ohio State at Maryland, again, uh, the, the score maybe didn't necessarily reflect it with a very last-second score by the Buckeyes, but close game for Ohio State to the point where it was, uh, I believe, three, point, three points uh, that Ohio State was up in the fourth quarter against Maryland, not what you want to see. Uh, Buckeyes scored their first drive very quickly, uh, touchdown, um, with some big throws to Marvin Harrison Jr., a run from Travion Henderson, a catch from Travion Henderson, getting in the end zone. But uh, then, then the offense kind of struggled and and couldn't really get much going there in the in the first half. Uh, I believe they got one more field goal before the the half end. But you know Maryland, um, credit to them and uh, Talia Tagovailoa to his little brother, uh, good quarterback I have to say. He, uh, I think the the big things I would take away from how he took advantage of the Ohio State defense is uh, just getting rid of the ball extremely quick and, and extremely. I mean, he was snapping it, and you know, before the D line was touching the offensive lineman, he was letting go of the ball. And um, you know, that's if you can't get to the quarterback, and these wide receivers are able to get open fast enough, or or they were setting up screens or throws outside um that's one way to attack a defense like that and so he was getting rid of the ball extremely quick he's a very fast runner so he was able to scramble in the pocket he made a a couple of good throws especially one of the fourth quarter touchdown throws on the run kind of Jalen Hurts-esque where he's a you know, juking out a D-lineman or two to just buy time, buy time, and wait for one of his receivers to streak across the back of the end zone to get open and catch one by the sideline. Um, he was very good at that. Um, and so he ended up going 26 for 36, 293 for two touchdowns. That's a great game for him, almost 300 yards and two touchdowns against uh, an opponent that, you know, they're not going to be very highly uh, – favored against in Ohio State so impressed with Talia's performance on Saturday Lathan Ransom for Ohio State safety but also in on special teams got his second punt block two in uh two in two weeks um which sets up a Buckeye easy Buckeye touchdown again almost identical to the one the week before where he blocks it and um but and it's right on the you know within five yards of the end zone setting up Dallin Hayden, the true freshman at running back, who goes 27 for 146 and three touchdowns on the day. Uh, Mayan Williams still being out, and it seems like maybe Travion Henderson just being limited in reps, whether that's for the upcoming Michigan game or not. But um, big game for the true freshman, uh, showing out, and good to know that you know someone can fill that, that role on the offense as the running back with all the injuries that have plagued him this season. Um, he has a, he has a good game and, uh, you know, kept the Buckeyes in it and kept that offense going. So, um, that's a credit to what maybe some felt as maybe the weakness of the Ohio state offense coming into the end of the season here. Are they able to run the ball? Are they able to get that going? Cause then that opens up Stroud in the passing game a lot more. So interesting to see, 
late in the game. Uh, Ohio State on uh, was on Maryland's like 40-ish yard line and decides to go for it on fourth and one, uh, more or less to try and seal the game up. And they get stopped because uh, the play calling calls for uh, a pass that gets dropped. And, I mean, I think that's where you have to, uh, you know, say, like, you know, we're Ohio State, and, and this is – we're a Power 5 program. We're at the top of the Big Ten, and we play like it. And on fourth and one, I, I think – and the way Dallin Hayden was running, you got to run the ball there and just get that one yard instead of trying to be fancy and throw it. Um, you know, it kept Maryland in that game, gave them hope. You know, thankfully the, the Buckeyes held on, but you got to be better than – messing around with with throws and in a situation like that and a team when you're place who has nothing to lose really right and um no it's definitely an interesting decision i think that's where you know when we're talking ohio state toughness um especially in in a game where people are saying you know michigan's going to be a tough team coming up here uh, you got to you got to muscle up and be tough and and just run and get that one yard whether it's with your running back whether it's with a tight end or cj stroud at quarterback you got to do something like that so um i didn't think that was a great play call when it came down to it and the, and the game was kind of on the line there late in the late in the fourth quarter so um but then you know the the defense comes up strong at the end and ends up uh sacking talia who fumbles and uh defense scoops and scores with a last second touchdown to win 43 to 30 but the you know the game was a little closer than that um when all said and done but uh Stroud had an okay day nothing spectacular 18 for 30 241 yards and one touchdown he struggled a little bit um Maryland defense definitely gave him some issues it'd be interesting to see how he might overcome that in this upcoming week maybe how they adapt um, but I think the the good takeaway was that his passes that he did make spread the ball out a little bit more other than just Marvin Harrison Jr., although he still led led targets. But he got the ball a little bit more to uh, Amika Abuka and Cade Stover as well as Julian Fleming. So I think that was what we had talked about last week with him probably needing to spread the ball around a little bit more. But he did. He did this week. And even though he didn't have the best numbers – um, you know, they get the win, and he improved upon something that, you know, maybe is something that future defenses could take advantage of. So he improved upon that and was able to spread the ball out a little better. And, you know, part of that might come from the run game being a little more explosive as well. So definitely some positives and some negatives to take away from that one. So moving on. So those are the those are the four, you know, close and honestly the, the better games from last Saturday. Um I think the other notable ones is Tennessee. Tennessee losing, unfortunately, um, with just a, an absolute blow to their team with Hendon Hooker going down with an ACL tear. He'll he'll be done for the year. Um, obviously, that's just tough um, after such a stellar season, stellar year for him. Um, so I'm sure he he'll head into recovery and and prep himself for the NFL draft and the NFL and what's and what's to come. But definitely a tough loss for Tennessee as they take their second loss of the year and are pretty much eliminated from the college football playoff at this point um, with them not being able to go to the SEC championship. So tough, tough loss for them. 
and then Georgia, who won, but uh, definitely in a, a closer game than I'm sure they would have hoped with Kentucky um, here. But, uh, you know, their defense still held Kentucky to six points. So clearly nothing wrong with the defense. Maybe the offense just struggling a little bit more there. Um, then just moving on to the, uh, the, the rankings here. Came out tonight. Georgia still won. OSU and Michigan 2-3. TCU holding on to the four spot. Um, as expected, more or less, right? None of those are going to change until potentially this weekend or one that one of these teams loses, you know? It could be TCU, OSU, or Michigan. Um, then at five, LSU, then USC, uh, then Alabama, Clemson, Oregon, and finally Tennessee down at 10. I think this is interesting because, um, well, I think this ends up being USC and TCU, obviously, probably controlling their own destiny. Definitely TCU at this point. If, if TCU wins out, they're in, right? They're already at four. No way they drop if they remain undefeated. So they they have to play Iowa State this upcoming Saturday, which is um, – Iowa State's not ranked, but it's away at Iowa State. And um, Iowa State always plays teams hard. Um, I have to say Matt Campbell does a good job coaching that team. And they listen, they have a resume of upsets. So um, I wouldn't count them out from playing TCU hard, especially at this point in the season, with a team that has nothing to lose, right? And then they're going to have to – get past them and then play either Kansas State or Texas in the Big 12 championship. Again, not a not an easy order. Um, both of those teams are playing great this year, especially Kansas State. So we'll see what happens there. But they definitely control their own destiny. And I, I would say UC, USC does too after that win against UCLA. They only have one loss on the year. Secure their spot in the Pac-12 championship. They have to play Notre Dame next weekend, which is a much improved Notre Dame, as I had said last week, than, than beginning of the season, for sure, right? This Notre Dame team has improved. They beat Clemson during the year and just kind of discovered themselves as a team and uh, as a coaching staff as the year went along. USC's got to play them next week, which is no no easy order, and then either Utah, Oregon, and the slight chance that Washington gets into the Pac-12 championship. But again, Utah and Oregon, like tough, tough teams to get through, um, especially in that kind of environment. So again, not not an easy road, but you know, if, if USC wins out here, wins next week, wins the championship, uh, I think they, they clinch one of those playoff berth spots for sure. Uh, putting the Pac-12 back in the playoff conversation after a couple of years here with with no representation. So I think that those are the two teams that control their own destiny at this point um, that are that are on the cusp. Um, obviously, the, the big game this week, the game, um, which if you couldn't tell by the intro music to this week's podcast, um, if you if you have watched any Ohio State football during the Urban Meyer era, you'll know this is a song that the players heard consistently 24-7 in the Woody Hayes football training facility um, the entire week leading up to the game against that team up north. But, again, big takeaway, is Blake Corum going to be out for this game? You know, he went out in that first half, did not come back in. 
it sounds like Jim Harbaugh is hopeful that he's going to be back for that game. Um, so it doesn't sound like it. Um, it's a definite no, and I, I wouldn't expect it to be either. Even if um, he was on the fringe, unless it was a full blown, you know, ACL structural tear or something like that. Um, no way he's going to be trying to sit out this game. Uh, biggest game of the year for them, for sure. So, um, and then on top of that, um, he was seen out uh, giving people in his community uh, turkeys for Thanksgiving. So he he was walking. So, uh, you know, he's not on a stretcher or a something, anything like that. So I expect I expect Corum to be back for the game on Saturday. So, and I, I doubt the Buckeye uh, coaching staff has ruled him out either. I'm sure they're prepping for him the same way they would have if he was guaranteed to be, guaranteed to be playing 100%. I think the keys here maybe for the Ohio State team is to make, again, make J.J. McCarthy throw deep, make him throw accurately um, these passes. A lot of the stuff he was making this week when the pressure was on him was screens to the outside and short, short, quick passes to get the ball out of his hands before, you know, he can really make a mistake. I think you need to maybe cover press up on some of that short stuff and make him make those throws because he, he has not proven that yet, that he's that kind of quarterback. Not saying he can't do it. I'm sure he's talented, but, you know, make make him prove that because he hasn't had to do it and not in an environment like this yet. So I think that's big. Making tackles, again, I think I had talked about last week, uh, just the, the Michigan wide receivers and tight ends being guys that they get these yards after catch when they break tackles. So you just got to be sound and um, – not over committing to to bad lines and underestimating speed, but making sure you get in front of these guys and wrap them up. Um, I think Stroud's gonna again have to spread this ball out with uh, smart throws. You know, this is a good defense, right, for Michigan, ranked number one. That you know is ranked number one for a reason, and um, he's going to have to make smart throws and those might not necessarily be the big home run hitters. I'm not saying those won't be there, but maybe they're there less frequently than uh, the OSU offense is used to. So uh, definitely make smart throws, keep yourself in the game and, and get that run game going early. It'll just help him in the long run. So um, that'll, that is something to watch for. Uh, Mayan Williams, for Ohio State at running back uh, is set to return. Um, not sure how banged up he is, what the status of his leg injury is, but it sounds like he'll he'll be suiting up for Saturday. So, you know, hopefully get maybe a three-headed uh, monster in the OSU backfield with Williams, Dallin Hayden, and Travion Henderson. So um, it'll be good to have those guys hopefully back in the game or even if they're not at full strength, just take some of the pressure off the true freshman if, you know, things get tight or they need specific plays that certain guys have the skill set for. Um, so Williams set to return, and then uh, Michigan, I guess their key is really, right, to keep this OSU offense off the field, um, try to limit their, their big plays. And the one way they can do that was with their run game. And so, you know, if Quorum's in, you know, that's their strength. But if he's not... Who's going to step up and fill his shoes and try to keep this run offense going on the field so that they can keep the OSU offense off the field? I think that's the question mark if Quorum's out. 
And even if he's back in, uh, you know, this Ohio State defense, Jim Knowles is going to prep for that. So can can they uh, keep it going even with a team that's trying to take this dimension out of their offense? I guess we'll see on Saturday, right? So just kind of the scenarios here for the playoffs with what might go down. We talked about USC and TCU uh, controlling their own destiny. I think so LSU's right behind them at f- – uh, or they're at the five spot ahead of USC, but USC will probably pass them if they keep winning because LSU has the two losses. LSU's path is going to have to be either TCU or USC losing in the championship game. Uh, That would put, and probably not TCU, I think TCU with a one loss. Actually, I I don't know. A TCU with a one loss in the the, uh, Big 12 championship versus... LSU, who would beat Georgia with two and have two losses in the SEC championship, it'd be interesting to see what the committee does there. I'm gonna lean maybe LSU just because I know it's a it's kind of taking the easy way out, but SEC bias. But I could see them saying, "Hey, if if they do beat Georgia, they're a legit team, right?" So. Yeah, I think that's LSU's way in. Or, right, USC loses and and doesn't win the uh, Pac-12 championship. I think that's the easier route for LSU to get in, right? That kind of opens up the fourth spot for them. Um, but then there could also be uh, two two Big Ten teams, right? And, and I think the way that needs to happen is obviously uh, – I think USC and TCU probably need to lose their championship games because, especially TCU, because the uh, actually no, they're both going to have to because the committee is going to weigh in that that championship higher than probably OSU or Michigan losing. They got to keep the game competitive. It can't be a blowout, obviously. Otherwise, uh, one team's just probably just going to look fraudulent. So close game, and then um, LSU is going to have to lose to. Uh, probably Georgia in the SEC championship to, to get that done. So there is a road for the two Big Ten teams, but uh, not sure how likely that is, but it's there. So that kind of does it for uh, just talking about what to expect with the CFP rankings and, and the landscape here with what to um, what's going on with this uh, last regular season. And then I'm sure after this week we'll have stuff to talk about with the championship games coming up and the outcomes of those and what that means for the rankings. But for now, I think that's kind of the paths that are laid out and uh, kind of expected. Um, Just one more thing I wanted to talk about this week that I was reading an ESPN article on it was just the kind of the history and the, the difference between uh, Ohio state and Michigan's helmet stickers, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, and the approaches that the two coaches uh, have to them didn't I honestly didn't know that uh, both teams haven't always had the stickers and I feel like I only really noticed Michigan had them as of recent which kind of makes sense because Jim Harbaugh was the guy to bring them back but I thought the coolest thing was that so Ohio State's Buckeye Leaf stickers are more or less individual stickers uh, for performance 
during one season. So they they would get awarded stickers for um, you know catches, total yards, touchdowns, passing yards if you're the quarterback, a certain kind of punts inside the ten yard line if you're a punter, tackles, sacks, and those add up and they accumulate during the regular season. Um, starting in the back left of the helmet, filling up one half, and then filling up the other side from the back as well. And once the season's done, those stickers are removed, and uh, you start again the next year. And that's something um, that the Buckeyes have had for a while, actually, now. But that's a little different than the way Michigan has done it, uh, especially with uh, Jim Harbaugh taking over as head coach and coming up with his style, I guess, of awarding stickers, which is um, more merit-based on individual events. So each sticker is personalized. So you would get one for wins, obviously, uh, in games, but you could get them for things outside of football, um, you know, certain life events or uh, or achievements that you would have had uh, with the team or at the university. Um, you can get them for winning awards, player of the week, or uh, what they deem um, their player of the week, player of the year. And so they're, they're a little more like football-shaped stickers that go on the back in between the stripes on their helmets. And they have different uh, little emblems inside the football, whether it's like a little Wolverine head for the, for the wins or um, other little logos for the um, whatever award they might win. And I thought that was pretty cool. Um, and what's interesting about those is they roll over. So if you're, um, you finish a season and you had five stickers, you keep those five going into next year. And so by the time you're a, you know, fourth year or potentially a fifth year on the team, you could have a, a whole helmet full right at the beginning of the season. And it just shows you who the veteran guys are and the, and the leaders on the team. So I thought that was pretty cool and thought it was worth mentioning, especially before this week's game in Columbus in the shoe. And so I will be going to that game, looking forward to it. Um, super pumped. It's the, you know, the last time I was at a game like this was 2016, my freshman year for Ohio State, Michigan in the double overtime win, when both teams were ranked inside the top five, looking for a, a, a playoff berth spot. So huge game this weekend there. Both teams 11-0 going into that, and we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens this week, and, um, n- you know, it could it could make or break the season for both of these teams, um, but I'm expecting a great game. I'm expecting a hard-fought game. I was looking at the, the radar, actually, and I know one of the concerns, especially after that Northwestern game for Buckeye fans, is, you know, weather and being able to get that uh, the full advantage of that passing offense in, in tough weather. And at least what I was looking at on my phone said, you know, rain, you know, chances of rain, potentially lightning, but we'll see. We'll see, right? It's, uh, it's November and anything can happen. So that's the game of the week for sure. But rivalry week in general is great a great close to the regular season for a lot of these teams and uh, looking forward to it. So thanks for tuning in. Appreciate it. And if you want to share the podcast with a friend, if if you like it, or you know someone who likes college football, absolutely uh, send them the link or, uh, 
or just pass it along if you want. And uh, yeah, thanks for tuning in, and we'll uh, we'll get back to you next week.